Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. I'm married up, y'all. That's all I got to say. I'm married up. Uh, man, so excited to be jumping into God's Word with you guys today, to be wrapping up a series that we started all the way back in January. So maybe some of you all are like, praise God, it's over. We're done. We're finished with Genesis. We had a little, we had a few breaks in there, letters from my future self. We had Easter and uh, Mother's Day, some awesome moments, but excited to be jumping into summer together and I'm really excited because over the next several weeks I've I've invited some of my friends some of the best preachers I know from churches all over the place from Southern California to Oklahoma and they're going to be coming in um, and really I just said guys here's the deal just bring the best sermon you've got, okay? Bring the best sermon. I don't even care what it's about. Bring the best sermon you've got. So really, uh, Summer Together is just a series about the best sermons you're ever going to hear in your life. So be here every weekend. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have fun on the patio. So much awesome stuff happening with Camp X, youth camps this summer. But uh, today, as my wife mentioned, we are jumping into Genesis. This again, we are finishing up um, a little mini series we did at the end on the life of Joseph. And today, what we're talking about, the title, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. What we're hitting on today is this idea of providence. The providence of God, and specifically resting in God's unstoppable plan. What does it look like for us to trust God? To really trust God, to deeply trust that God is actually in control. He has a plan. My life is not just a random sequence of events that is spinning out of control. No, God is sovereign. And the word providence means that God is sustaining and guiding the world towards his ultimate ends. And there's a mystery involved in that because humanity, we are, we have free will. We are agents. We are agents of responsibility. Our choices matter. Our choices have consequences. And yet somehow, God and his sovereign power is able to guide all the choices, both good and bad, in all the world, from all the billions of people towards his ultimate ends. It's an amazing thought. And the reason I can say that, the reason that I know that, is because <laughs> if you've been following along in the story of Genesis at all, you know it's been crazy, it's like reality TV gone bad. You know, it's like one of those shows where you got the remote up and you're like, I, I should change the channel, but I, I just can't look away. I can't believe he just did that. She said that. Oh, my God. This is going to be awful. I'm gonna, I got to watch it. I got to see what happens. And Genesis, if you've been following the story from Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 50 where we're ending today, it's been a little bit like that. The Bible, I love this about the Bible. It doesn't edit out the messy parts. Leaves them right in there. God says, look, I understand that when, when 
Adam and Eve turned away from me, the world broke, that sin and death entered the scene. I understand there is pain, there is the reality of brokenness in a broken world, but at the very end of the story, Joseph says this verse, and I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but we gotta hit it again because this is like God giving us his perspective on the whole thing. It's like God saying, look, I I know where it started, I know how it's been, There's been moments where it feels like the promise of God is dangling by a thread and it's about to break and there's no way God's people are going to make it. And here we get to the end of the story and Joseph says to his brothers in this dramatic moment because his brothers who sold him into slavery are now in Egypt begging for food because there's a famine in the land and they're dying of starvation. And they end up in front of Joseph, their younger brother who they sold 17 years before. They can't even recognize him because he's wearing the full Egyptian headdress. He's, he's royalty in Egypt. He's the right hand of Pharaoh. He's been exalted by God to the highest position in Egypt. And they've just discovered that the most powerful guy in the most powerful nation on earth is their younger brother who they just who they had sold, betrayed, and left for dead. That's a bad moment if you're his brothers. And he says, Joseph said to his brothers, it's a good opening line on Joseph's part, don't be afraid of me. You have a lot of reason to be afraid of me, but don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I'm not God, okay? You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Yeah, you had some very bad intentions, hatred, evil, murderous thoughts in your heart, and you did something that was so wrong to me, but God meant it for good. He brought me to this position for the salvation of many lives, Joseph is able to look back over the course of his life, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the painful, the betrayals, the loss, the heartache, all the things that all of us experience on one level or another. He's able to look back through the corridor of his own life and say, God was in all of it. There were a lot of people that did a lot of bad things to me. There were a lot of things that I didn't deserve that were done to me. There was a lot of heartache and pain and waiting and loneliness and forgottenness that I went through that I I never saw coming. And yet somehow, God in his providence and his power, he, he like orchestrated the whole thing for your good, for my good, for the good of everyone. So this whole story of Genesis is just a microcosm of the providence of God, the power of God to say, even though it can feel chaotic, even though you can look at your life and say, there's no way God's involved in this. There were plenty of moments where Joseph looked at his life, whether he was just sold by his brothers and left for dead, whether he was unjustly accused and thrown into prison and forgotten for two years, where he could have said, There's no way God's in this. There's just no way, God, that you're you're involved in this. I can't see how you're possibly gonna turn this for good. I can't see how you're possibly gonna use this for good. There's plenty of moments in the journey of Joseph's life, which we've heard about over the past several weeks, where if you would've walked up to Joseph, maybe while he was in prison, 
Maybe when he was just starting out as a slave in Potiphar's house. Maybe when he was in different seasons of pain and waiting where you would have walked up to Joseph and said, hey, Joseph, what's God up to in your life right now? What's he speaking to you in this season? And Joseph probably would have looked you straight back in the face and said, either, I don't know, he's gone, he's left me, he's not answering my prayers, or he would have just said, I have no idea what God's doing. He gave me a dream a long time ago about one day me ruling everyone, but right now I'm in prison. I don't see how it's gonna end there. I have no idea what God's up to. Friends, can I just say this to you? There are moments, there will be moments in your life where if all you look at is the external circumstances of what you're going through, you might just miss the fact or be tempted to disbelieve or not trust in the goodness and providence of God that no matter where you are or what you're facing, he is able and powerful enough to ultimately bring you to his plan and his purpose for your life. He's able. Nothing. The providence of God teaches us that nothing can stop God's plan. His plan for your life and mine is unstoppable. And my prayer for you today is this, is that you would be able to rest in the fact that God is at work in your life today, right now, even if you can't see what he's up to. Even if you can't answer the question, what is God doing in your life? Even if you have to honestly say, I have no idea. My prayer for you is that you could rest in the fact that he can take even the worst things of our lives and mold them, shape them, and direct them for your good, for my good, and the good of everyone. That we would be able to trust in the goodness and power of God that in the end, everything is truly going to work out the way he intends it to. Nothing, absolutely nothing or no one can stop what God wants to do in your life. Nothing and no one can stop what God ultimately wants to accomplish in your life. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in fear or anxiety. You don't have to live in this uncertainty of, is God involved in this? You can rest in the goodness and the sovereignty and the providence of God. That's what the story of Joseph teaches us. That's what we learn. And there's three things that, that I think we see in this verse and in this story. First, we don't have to live in fear, but we can rest in God. We don't have to live in anxiety or fear about what's coming. We can trust that God is able to use it and ultimately turn it for our good. Um, friends, the second thing we learn is that we have to look for the path of providence, we have to see, we have to look for what God is doing in our life. So often we're so focused on the surface, the externals, the problems, that we miss the fact that God's doing something. We gotta look for the right things. And number three, we have to remember nothing can stop God's design. Nothing can stop God's design. In order to really bring this home, uh, to illustrate this point, I wanna use just some of my favorite YouTubers on the planet. Dude Perfect, let's go. Anybody seen their most recent video? The world's highest basketball shot. 
unbelievable, okay? I, I'm going to spoil it, spoiler alert. I mean, you know how it ends. It's dude perfect. They do one thing, trick shots, right? But they actually made a mini documentary on this shot because... You know, they had set the world record for the, the world's highest basketball shot a few years ago. If you followed them, I've, you know, they were a bunch of college kids from Texas A&M. And, you know, they started off on YouTube by making, you know, trick shots in their backyard. And now they're throwing basketballs off the stadium at Kyle Field at Texas A&M. And then off the skyscraper downtown Oklahoma City. I mean, it just got bigger and bigger, right? Crazier and crazier. Now... In the interview, in this documentary that they just made about the highest basketball shot that they just made, Tyler, who's the leader of the bunch, he goes, this was different than all the other ones. Because every other trick shot we had done up to this point, we had some control over whether or not that was going to go in. You know, we got closer and closer. Maybe it took us a week or three days or, you know, I don't know how many hours or attempts, but we were able to kind of dial it in. We were able to kind of tweak the shot, the spin, the pace, and get closer and closer and closer until finally we made it. He goes, with this one, we had no control over the ball once it left our hands. It was so high, this shot was so high, we literally, it was out of our hands. It would be pure blind luck if the ball went in the basketball goal. So just to give you an idea of what we're talking about here, okay, this is the shot that they went for, 856 feet from the top of the Strat Hotel in downtown Las Vegas. To give you some perspective, this is Kyle Field at Texas A&M. That's a football stadium, okay? If I was going to draw a basketball goal on here, I can't even make it small enough. I mean, it's like smaller than that dot, okay? This was... The next shot they made off the top of that building in downtown Oklahoma City. I mean, that's three times as high as a basketball stadium. Then these guys from Australia broke their record by making a shot off the top of a mountain that was over 600 feet high. And they were like, no way, we're dude perfect. We have to get the world record back. And so they found a a building that would allow them to drop basketballs off the top of it because let's just be real, they had to call in the video, they say we called about 70 or 80 different cities and different locations and they're like, no, we are not allowing you to drop projectiles off our roof that could potentially kill people. A basketball dropping from 856 feet becomes a lethal weapon. And so, you know, they finally, of course, Las Vegas is like, come on, bring it, let's go. And uh, they're like, okay, we're doing this thing. Now, here, here's what they realized once they got up there, okay? Uh, this is where they were going to set up the basketball goal. And they said, we're going to build a 10,000 square foot safety net just to protect like the air conditioning units and everything. But as soon as they dropped the first ball, they realized, oh my gosh, not only the first ball, here's what happened. They dropped it. It caught a little gust of wind. It landed right there. Bounced into the parking lot, almost jacked a guy who was loading his groceries in the back of his truck. And they realized real fast, oh, we have no, like, the, the street is in play. Everything's in play. So they thought, okay, the wind's kind of going that way. We'll just aim over here. And they, they aim that direction. The ball lands off the 27th floor window of the hotel. 
bounces straight off the hotel on the 27th floor. And then the next one they throw, I'm not kidding you, you watch the ball, it just like fades out of the screen. And it ends up in somebody's like yard a quarter of a mile away. And they began to realize real quick, oh, we literally have no control over what happens when the ball leaves our hands. Mark Rober, who is another YouTuber, he was highlighted on the video. They, he was a former NASA engineer. They said, hey, what are the statistical odds of us making this shot? We've rented the place for three days. You know, you know how many shots do you think we're going to have to take to make it? He goes, well, statistically speaking, based on the height, how the basketball is going to move through the air, spin, win, whatever, it's about a one in a million chance. You have, like, you can't control the ball from that distance. You can't even aim it. He's like, you got three days. If you all make this shot, he says, and I love it. I'm going to see if they make him do this. He goes, I will eat a basketball if you make this shot. You will be the luckiest five people on planet Earth. And so at the end of the first day, just to give you an idea, they had hit the safety net one time by the end of the first day. And they were like, we don't know if we can keep doing this. Like someone's going to get hurt. This is dangerous. Like, gosh. And the executives at the Strat Hotel said, hey, we'll go ahead and close off the street for you guys. This is great publicity for us. We'll make it as safe as possible. Just keep shooting. And they're like, that's fine for you, but I'm the one throwing the ball up here. If it like kills a, you know, a puppy or something, I'm in trouble. But they kept shooting. At the end of, uh, they, they got their day two, 50 mile an hour winds. Literally, they're, they're dropping the ball and it's like going over the hotel, <laughs> next city over or something. Day three, they're like, okay, finally, perfect conditions. No wind. We've got a shot at this. At this point, they've shot five, six, 700 basketballs. They have not hit even the basketball goal one time. They have less than five shots within 20 feet of the goal. And Tyler's about to take a flight. They're coming down the home stretch of their last day. They're all stressed out. And he shoots this shot. And I just want to give you a little different perspective. The basketball is somewhere in that circle. He just lets it go. Goes to the next shot. Can you see the basketball in this picture? I got to find it. Okay, here it is. This, is. this is literally this exact picture from the upper angle the ball is, hold on, I got to find it. This is it right here, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's the basketball. Can you see the basketball goal? That's it right there. <laughs> okay, so the ball's tracking. This is the guys hanging underneath the umbrella on the roof. Here's the ball about 300 feet above the ground. The basketball goal's up here, Okay. So you're watching this thing go, and you're like, there's no way. Like, there's no way this is going to happen. And yet, a gust of wind comes. It begins tracking towards the goal. The guys kind of sit up, and they're like, what? They haven't even hit the basketball goal yet. And then this happens. And then, you know, this happens. <laughs> and they go insane, because that's what Dude Perfect does. They go absolutely nuts. And they're sitting down at the end of this. And Tyler's being interviewed. I mean, they literally turned this into a documentary. This was the most insane trick shot we've ever done in our entire lives. They turned it into a documentary, and he says, and I quote, I thought it was so good. He says, knowing how much control I had over the outcome, 
When the ball left my hands, I cannot look at that shot and say, God did not have his hand on it. He goes, it was impossible. I had no control over where the ball went after I let go of it. We would literally shoot it the same direction, same pace, same spin, no wind, and one time it would land on the roof, the next time it would land in the parking lot of the grocery store. We had no control over what was going to happen. And friends, what we have to realize is this. There are a very small number of things in our life that we have immediate control over. A very small circle of influence. But most of the time, the ball is out of our hands. And in our journey of life, what we're going to realize is that, yes, it may be out of our hands, but it's not out of his hands. God is still guiding, controlling, and there may be all sorts of variables and circumstances that you never saw coming, but he's still moving your life toward his ultimate ends, and only God can land you, can put you in the end where he's intended you to go. It is out of your control, but it is not out of God's control. So the the first point, again, is don't live in fear, but rest in God. Don't live in fear, but rest in God. Now, what Joseph says to his brothers is this. I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you, uh, let's just say it together, sold. You sold me into slavery. You beat me up. You threw me in a pit. You were going to go lie to my dad. You're mad because I told you about some dreams I had. I was a 17-year-old kid. Yeah, I was a punk. Yeah, I was being arrogant. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have said you all were going to bow down to me one day. I get it. Yeah, dad loved me more than you guys and gave me a special beautiful coat. Yeah, that's all true, right? Joseph didn't help his case very much. But that still doesn't really justify the fact that you sold me into slavery and then told dad I was eaten by wild animals. Okay, so that's what you did. You sold me, but don't be afraid and don't be angry with yourselves. Don't even be upset with yourselves. That's a, that's a big thing for Joseph to say. Don't even be angry at yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who, what, sent me here ahead of you to save your lives, That's one of the craziest verses. It's one of the craziest statements in the Bible. That's how the providence of God works. Basketball is out of your hands. Yeah, you did some really horrible things. But God actually used your betrayal, your lying, your greed, your sin, your hatred, your envy. He actually used all of that to save your lives. That's how strong the providence of God is. He can use your rebellion to eventually bring you to your knees and save you. That's what he did with the brothers. And Joseph was now able to look at this through a God lens because he said, look, at the moment, I just felt betrayed. I felt sold. This was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But now at the end of my life, I can look back and say, God was in all of that. You sold me, but God sent me. I love what Walter Brueggemann said. He said it like this, one of the commentators. He said, they could not see that in the midst of their scheme, the brother's scheme, 
was another plan about which none of them knew, a plan hidden but sure in its work. The brothers were scheming, but God said, I'm gonna use this. I'm strong enough to use even this. And God isn't the one who forced them to sin. He's not the one who caused the evil to happen, but he's the one who can redeem it and use it for not just their salvation, Joseph's salvation, but also the salvation of the world. Friends, this is how it works. Don't live in fear, but rest in God, and you have to look for the path of providence. You probably can't read this. That's on purpose. This is your circle of control. The blue is the rest of the world and the rest of your life. Things you cannot control. And somehow God takes you and your little circle of influence, which is your choices, your responses, your actions, your attitude, your perspective, your immediate relationships, just the tiny little circle that you have. You can't always control what happens to you. You can choose how you'll respond You can choose how you'll think about it. You can choose the attitude of your heart, your perspective. You can choose how to treat those in your immediate sphere of influence. But there's a whole bunch of stuff out here in life that you cannot control. Economy, politics, the weather, the choices of other people, the sin of other people, the rejection, betrayal of other people. And yet God is still gonna get you to his plan for your future. He's still gonna bring you through it all to this eventual destination. It it reminds me, I'll never forget, when I was in in seminary, um, one of my professors, he asked us, he said, hey, very first thing he did in the class, he said, I want everyone um, just to take one minute and in your mind make a list of everything in this classroom that is blue, everything that's blue. We're all looking around, making a middle note. And then he goes, okay, who can tell me one red object in this classroom? We were like, oh, come on, man. That, that's not fair. He's like, give me one red object. We, we couldn't think. I mean, we could like cheat and look around and like, oh, that one. But we weren't looking for the red object, right? Because all we could see was the blue, the circumstances, the things outside of our control. And oftentimes I wonder... If we get so focused on the injustice, the evil, the the actions of other people that are outside of our control, the painful things that we're in, the circumstances that that are truly beyond us where the ball is out of our hands, and we miss the fact that God is providentially guiding us and using all of it to eventually bring us to his ultimate ends. Sometimes we get so focused on what's broken, we forget to notice the blessings of our life. We forget to notice what God has done so far, how far he's brought us, what he's brought us through. Friends, God is always at work in your life. He is always redeeming. Don't get so focused on the blue that you completely miss the line, the path of God's providence, his goodness. I don't think it's an accident that the most common command in the Bible is fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. And then the most common following line when God says fear not 
the thing he says next almost every single time is, because I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. It's what it says in Genesis 36 when Joseph is unjustly cast into prison when he does the right thing. He's in prison, but it says this, God was with him there, and he showed his goodness and his kindness to him even there. Friends, look for the path of God's providence. Rest, don't live in fear, but rest in God. Look for his providence in your life. Look, begin to look for the ways that he is redeeming even the worst situations. Don't just focus on the blue, look for the red. And then number three, nothing can stop God's design. I'll never forget this. When I graduated college, I was working for the company that I interned with, and Lindsay and I had gotten engaged, and she was working as a meteorologist up in Dayton, Ohio. I was working outside of Atlanta. Um, We had just sort of started our careers, and we began to feel the call to ministry. And I remember having a conversation with Lindsay's dad, my father-in-law. Love him, to, amazing man, love him to death. He was so gracious towards me in this moment. Right, 23-year-old guy, you know, promising career ahead of me. Lindsay and I are engaged. She's got a promising career ahead of her. We're both kind of deciding, okay, should I move to Dayton where you can stay with your path? I'll find a job there. Should we see if there's an opening in the Atlanta market for meteorologists? You come down here. We're making decisions, but behind it all, we're feeling this call to ministry. And I began to, I began to talk to Lindsay's dad about this reality. We're not married yet. And I began to talk about this reality of, you know, I think, I think God might be calling me into like ministry. He's like, what? What does that mean? Well, we actually may go serve as missionaries in Haiti for a while. What? You're gonna marry my daughter and take her to Haiti? This is a bad career path, man. You know, and you know, I begin to kind of share and process, and Lindsay and I are on the same page, and we're thinking, man, Lord, I, I feel called to pastor and preach. She feels called to ministry. We felt called to missions, especially in the early years of our marriage. And I remember, I mean, her father is asking me all the questions that I would ask, you know, my future son-in-law, if he was saying those things to me, like, how are you going to make money? Where is your health insurance? What is, do they have health insurance in Haiti? Like, what, you know, what is, ha- what are you doing, right? This is, I disagree with this, bad decision, you got a great job, she's got a great job, don't ruin your lives, essentially. That's just a summary of what he was saying. Now, I'll never forget, he's having a conversation with his neighbor one night. Over a few beers, and quite frankly, I mean, gosh, he loves us, but he's venting. He's like, they're crazy. I can't believe they're, they're thinking of this, you know? And his neighbor goes, huh, you know what's interesting, Paul? My dad actually owns a scholarship fund to this seminary up in Kentucky called Asbury. It's like one of the leading evangelical seminaries in America. Paul's like, have you been listening to me at all? This is not what I want. This is not the, you know, the idea here is not for them to go this route with their life. I'm trying to vent to you so you can support me in my emotional breakdown moment here over this crazy guy that's gonna, you know, marry my daughter. And he's like, well, I'm just throwing it out there. You know, if if he feel, you know, you feel like you wanna connect him, I'm sure my dad would love to talk to him. And I'll never forget, you know, (laughs) Paul, my father-in-law called me 
Lindsay and I had just gotten married. He goes, John, I can't even believe I'm gonna say this. I have no idea who this guy is. This could be nothing at all. Uh, but apparently our neighbor, his dad, he owns a scholarship fund to some seminary. I've never heard of it. Here's his number if you wanna call him. I mean, my jaw is hitting the floor as I'm listening to my father-in-law say this. I called this guy, and he said, man, I'd love to meet you. Can you get down to, I was in Atlanta at the time, he said, can you get down to Jacksonville by tomorrow? I said, yeah, I can, I'll drive. So I drove down to Jacksonville, and we had lunch. And at the end of it, he's like, hey, I tell you what, if, um, if you apply and get in, I'll, I'll pay for it all, all of it, every penny. Books, fees, tuition. I was like, hold on, like what, what kind of scholarship is this? He's like, well, you know, my father was a pastor. Um, this gentleman is now, he was now the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He goes, we were just dirt poor when we went through seminary and I watched my mom and dad struggle to figure out how to feed a young family. And he goes, so it was on my heart to provide for seminary students who were called into ministry. He goes, so I'm gonna cover your book fees, tuition, also the scholarship covers health insurance, and I have a couple properties up there where you can basically live for like 100 bucks a month. You think you can make that work? Yes. I think we can make that work. And I'm like, that's how the providence of God works, friends. A conversation that was intended for one thing got used for another thing, and now Lindsay and I are married, and we're living in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm going to seminary, and God's like, I'm going to open a door because I have a calling on your life, and you know, this path is going to be crazy, but I'm going to get you there. I didn't know I was going to end up in California 14 years later, preaching God's word to you guys, but I, I look back at the providence of God over my life, and it's amazing. What God does is amazing. Providence is God's ability to orchestrate the actions and decisions of the entire human race, both good and evil, to achieve his ultimate plans and purposes. It's, it's his providence, right? Joseph said, don't be afraid. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And when you break that down, look at this. You meant evil against me. God meant it for good. He had a plan behind your plan. And no, your actions were not from God, but they were in his hands. And he was able to shape them and guide them and direct them where he wanted them to go. And friends, providence, if you really wanna boil it down, everything, and I mean everything that happens in your life is either from God's hands or it's in, God, in God's hands. I wanna say that again, providence, Everything that happens in your life is either from the hand of God or it's in the hands of God. And here's what I mean by that, right? Because you think about this. James says it like this. God blesses those who patiently endure trials and temptation. When you're facing temptation, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do evil. God is never tempted to do evil, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 
So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever, that means everything, whatever is good and perfect, I'm, I'm sorry, not everything, but whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. The blessings in this life that you experience, the breath in your lungs, the fact that the sun rose again today, the good things that you're enjoying in life are from the hand of God. But James tells us very clearly the evil things that you're experiencing in life, the hard and painful things, they're not from the hand of God, but God says, they're in my hand, and I can shape these, mold these, and direct these however I see fit to get you ultimately to where I want you to be. Friends, if you're here and God's plan for your future is there, in between here and there, there will be chaos, pain, blessing, people that you can't control, evil, good, all the stuff of your life. It's all between here and there, and God says this. It's either from my hands if it's a blessing, or it's in my hands, and I'm going to ultimately get you where I want you to go. That's what the providence of God is. And friends, look at how amazing the love of God is. Closing with this, then we're gonna take communion and we're gonna share these baptisms. It's amazing. God used all the pain of Joseph's life, the betrayals, the heartache, the abandonment, the, the murder attempts, the injustice. He used the forgottenness, the loneliness, the seasons in prison. He used all the evil that was done against Joseph to eventually help Joseph arrive at his final destination where God says, this is where I want you to be for the salvation of the whole world. And Joseph says to his brothers, when you tried to kill me, it was in God's hands. When you sold me into slavery, it was in God's hands. When Potiphar's wife lied about me and falsely accused me and I was thrown into prison, it was in God's hands. When you got laid off, it was in God's hands. When your child begins to make self-destructive decisions, moms and dads, grandparents, it's in God's hands. When the economy takes a turn for the worse, it's still in his hands. When the situation is not getting better, it's still in his hands. When you feel overlooked, abandoned, forgotten by others, God has not forgotten you and it's in his hands. When the doctor walked back into the waiting room and it turned out to be the worst case scenario, friends, it is in his hands. You can't see it right now. You don't know how the story is going to end. You can't even imagine how God is going to mold this and shape this for your ultimate good and the good of everyone. But I'm here to tell you that what you're walking through may not be from God's hands, but it is in God's hands. It is in his hands. The line of providence that God is writing throughout your life, you may not be able to see it, you may not be able to understand it, but you can trust that God will ultimately get you where you need to be. God is working in the background, and if you can't see it, and you don't know what he is up to, it doesn't mean he's not good. He's sovereign. 
He's working even in this. Can you even imagine the brothers in that moment when they're before Joseph and they realize it's him? Picture this scene. The very one they betrayed and sold into slavery. Picture this scene. They come and they think for sure once they realize it's him, he's gonna kill us. Wow. The dream came true that he had when he was 17. Before they even knew it was him, they were bowing their knee before him because he was at the right hand of Pharaoh. And I imagine them thinking in their minds, I could never have imagined a scenario in which me actually bowing to my punk little brother, that little arrogant son of a gun with his pretty little jacket, would actually be good for me. I could never imagine a situation where not only would I be bowing to him, but I'd be grateful for him because God's gonna use him to save me. I can't even imagine a scenario where this happens and this is good for not just me and Joseph, but for everyone in the whole world. It says the nations of the earth came to Egypt and were fed by the storehouses of food that Joseph prepared for them. And then we come to Jesus and we're about to share baptisms, right? And we see the story of Jesus' life. And Peter says this, Jesus was handed over to the authorities according to what? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He was crucified and killed by the Romans, but God raised him up, loosing the chains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God took the greatest injustice in human history, the death of his perfect son, and used it to save the whole world, all who would put their faith in him. Your story's not over. The hand of providence, the good hand of providence, the hand of a sovereign God is guiding your life. And even though the basketball may be out of your hands right now, God is going to get it exactly where it needs to go. Friends, we're gonna take communion together right now and we're gonna remember the sacrifice of Jesus for us and then we're gonna share these stories of baptism and we'll close our time together. Let's take communion together in this moment where we remember the sacrifice of Christ for us. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.